Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. First, I have something really special that I can't wait to share with you. Most of you know that I work by day as the CEO of a $31 million organization, and I coach a handful of clients in the evening. Now I have taken the tenets of mindful leadership and put that into a training program so that you can fast track your career leadership while also balancing that with a good night's sleep, healthy eating habits, and close relationships. I call this program Mindful Leader Satisfied Life. Not only will you have the training, you also get one-on-one coaching with me, not a group, one-on-one coaching with me so that we can unravel your personal assumptions that are holding you back. You will no longer be unnoticed, undervalued, and inadequate, feel judged, and that others think that there's something wrong with you and you start thinking there's something wrong with you too because you're getting passed over for promotions, new roles, no longer doing all the things you hear you should be doing. Sigh of relief, right? With only defeat and the fear that failure is in your DNA forever dogging you in the back of your mind. You'll no longer be disconnected from colleagues, friends, and family or following the shoulds that make you feel you're still behind the curve and might even lose everything altogether. No longer frustration about habits that show up in terms of snacking, disjointed relationships, vices, poor sleep. No longer making excuses while not actually getting any closer to high performance. So if you're interested in this program, all you have to do is go to my website, maryleegannon.com. Click on the link on the top that says Coach with Mary Lee. It explains all about the program. Fill out a few questions on the questionnaire so that I know a little bit more about you and I'll reach right out to you and we'll set up a time to talk and we'll get you started. No longer will you have to wake up and say, I missed an opportunity. I wish I had. Please remember that I can only take a few clients at a time and I already have a full book right now. So I'd like to make sure that you're on the list. Head over to maryleegannon.com. Click on Coaching with Mary Lee. Let's get started. Hi there, Mindful Leader. Welcome to the Still Space Podcast, episode number 27, How to Stop Killing What You Want with Your Need to Be Right. The need to be right is at the root of most arguments, conflicts, and wars. It is the product of the ego needing validation. People who are difficult are also needy. Think about the last person you had a conflict with. 
Wasn't there something out of order with them? Wasn't there something that you noticed that they needed? Was it attention? Was it to be right? Was it to be validated? If you work or live with someone who is difficult, they're likely more amenable when you can trust them and they can trust you. When they know you have their back or at least respect them, trust is key here. And if you trust yourself and are comfortable in your own skin, you don't have to keep convincing yourself of your worth by attention-seeking behavior and the need to be right. During my divorce and for years after, I needed validation that I was a good person, good wife, lovable, and a good mother because I had adopted insurmountable shame about my situation. Though my ego needed external validation, I never asked for it because subconsciously I didn't feel I deserved it. This resulted in a continual longing for legal justice that never came because Legal justice is outside of my control, right? And if we spend time expecting things that are outside of our control, as we discussed in episode 26, then we end up disappointed and constantly upset and angry and resentful. That needy ego also had me looking for validation from my children, who were then teenagers and hated their mom on a good day and for romantic love that was fleeting for a single mother with four school-aged children. I wanted to belong somewhere desperately, so I spent many hours at work because I was good at work. I was validated there, and corporate America welcomed my time and energy. They welcomed my shame and were happy to have me find solace and comfort in working long hours and achieving for them, not for me, not for my self-awareness, not for my family. But that was a choice that I made, and I played right into it. I own that. As an executive coach, I counsel my clients dealing with big ego colleagues to find something about the difficult person they can authentically respect or can learn from. I also counsel them that if you are the bully, or you are the persecutor, or you sometimes may be the difficult person, how can you search within yourself for the answers that you want to reconcile so that you're not constantly externalizing things. What do you want to think? What new thought? What emotion needs to be dealt with so that you can finally release this dogged behavior that you end up regretting later? When you're dealing with a difficult person and you're looking for something to admire, it might be their dedication to the organization, their work ethic, their experience, their education, their brain. I suggest that my clients win trust by communicating with respect. The needy ego will appreciate the endorsement, trust me. This makes it easier to work together and to get what you want. That means you have to manage your own ego first. You must swallow pride and manage down that ego that's also up in your face saying, well, I need attention too. That's difficult to do in the moment. That's why we do mindful daily practices. That's why we find a still space to take a deep breath and reflect on what it is that we truly want and how we want to show up. Keep your eyes on the ultimate goal, not your need to have your own ego ratified by someone else. You might say to the difficult person, I know that you value, insert whatever it is that's important to them. 
And I think that this aligns with that before you present something. So you're initiating it from the perspective of, I'm respecting your values. Most of the time, there is a negative quality in the person we are in conflict with that reminds ourselves of something in ourselves or something that we envy. Notice and admit this. Honor it. It makes you uncomfortable. That's honest. That's human. It takes curiosity and humility to identify that. Yet to do so is the ultimate freedom because you're now not held hostage by what they might say about you, what they might think about you, how they might communicate that to your peers. You will no longer be trapped by your own inadequacies. If you see common ground in others, be able to assess character quickly especially when hiring. It's so important. This litmus test is how people handle stressful moments. Don't ask them how they handle stress. They'll tell you that they're good at it. Observe their patterns. Throw a few difficult introspective questions their way. Well, I saw that on your resume that you accomplished this. What struggles did you have along the way that you had to overcome and see if they can actually come up with something and how close it gets to their core and if they're able to show you that they had self-awareness and how they dealt with it. If they had dealt and admitted it, that some, those are signs of high self-awareness. I learned the art of patience by letting my children have their own opinions of me without defending myself or needing them to validate me, especially when they were teenagers. They couldn't possibly know what it was like to be in my shoes. Nobody could. We grew closer as a result of no expectations. I was learning to trade the treadmill to nowhere for the freedom of self-acceptance, but it was hard. I had to work hard at it. I had to shed the need to be deemed right in the courts with my ex-husband and with my children and with the community. I carried shame. Outside parties can judge you all they want. Your children can judge you. Your colleagues and the community can judge you. It is you you alone who must be true to your character and draw a boundary between what you will and will not allow yourself to own and to feel. You will attract more substantive relationships when you don't have to prove yourself, when you don't have to feel that you need affirmation, that you need someone to continually validate you, when you need your children to tell you you're a great mom, even though right now they may hate your guts. Do you want to be right or do you want to get it right? And we must be able to stand alone and vulnerable to get it right. Other people don't get to divine your worth. They just don't. You own that. And if you're not feeling worthy, you have to own that. You have to take the reins and right that horse. You have to turn it in the direction, completely do an about face, be ready to do that about face, and take some of the pain that might come along the way. You get to define your opinion of yourself. They get to define their opinions of you. Let them have that. Permit them to be right about their judgment. Oh, well, they may some say something unkind about you, but your consistently, mindfully based 
good character and the behavior that follows thoughts and emotions of good character will prove the consistency of your character. It is incredibly liberating. You need not waste time, energy, or resources defending yourself only to feel defeated and exhausted when you can't change their minds. Your job is not to change their minds. You can't convince fools of their foolishness. You can leave them to it. A great phrase is, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or, I'm confused. Can you tell me what basis you have for that assumption? Or can you give me a little more clarity about where that's coming from? In this space, you must feel as if you are safe and belong in the comfort of your own humanity and humility. Let them be right. You need not be right. It's cost you too much to be right. It's cost the world too much to have countries need to be right and armies need to be right. Your job is not to win them over, to convince your needy ego that you're right. Your job is to be safe in your own conviction that you need not be number one at anything but being yourself. And you are awesome just the way you are. You're on a quest for life mastery. You're on a quest for leadership excellence. You're learning. You're growing. You may not get it right all the time. That doesn't matter. Your forward progress and your momentum is an inspiration to you and is carrying you. You need not be right. You want to get it right. If you've made a mistake, admit it. That will gain you so much respect. Remain consistent in your behavior so that people may trust the predictability of it. They want to be able to anticipate you, to know how you're going to respond and react, and have that be from a position of sound and reliable character. Then you become a trusted confidant, a trusted resource, somebody that they seek out. I remember... One day at the local swimming pool where the parent of a classmate of one of my children asked me, well, if your husband's so difficult and your marriage was so bad, why did you have four children? Recognize judgment for what it is, an offshoot of unhappiness. People who judge others judge themselves far worse Happy people do not hurt one another. Believe me when I tell you, there was a part of me when she said that that wanted to reach out and dunk her under the water and possibly let her feel what it's like to be drowning. Because I had felt like I was drowning for the past several years trying to transcend a difficult marriage, care for my four children, make sure that my child with a developmental disability got her needs met, and being the financial provider, it was heavy. I paused and I thought about her question. I took a still space moment. I had to admit to myself that this stung that this hurt, that it was meant to shame me. Yes, that was an assumption. It certainly felt that way to me. Everybody standing around because there were five or six other moms in the pool at the time when this happened. 
were looking at me and wondering how I was going to react, everyone knew we had lost our home, that we had been homeless, that we didn't have an automobile, that the children and I were on welfare, food stamps, medical assistance. I had to lasso my ego in that moment because at first I really wanted to drown her in her own wickedness. But once I could set that aside, because if I had lost my presence there, that would have been what everybody at the pool was talking about. <gasps> Mary Lee lashed out at so-and-so, and this happened. I didn't want to be even close to any negativity coming my way. And once I could set my original emotions and thoughts aside, I could take different action. We talk about how thoughts lead to stories that we tell ourselves, which lead to our feelings, which lead to actions. So my thought was, oh, this is embarrassing, which leads to a story I'm telling myself that I'm always going to be embarrassed here. My children are going to be made fun of at school. I'm not going to be able to go anywhere in the community without people talking about me. And that made me feel shame. So in that still space moment, I took a deep breath and said, well, what can I change here? I can't change what she thinks. I can't change what anybody else thinks, but I can change my thought about this, and I will tell her exactly what that is. And in that still space moment, as I was looking at her and thinking of her wickedness, I brought some humor to the situation, thinking about the wicked witch in the Wizard of Oz melting as they threw water on her. And I thought, what can I throw on her? And of course, this is very quickly, I'm going through this process in my mind. What can I throw her way that will let her know, I'm not going to stand for this. This is who I am at my core, but it's not going to be confrontational. So what I said is this. Probably the same reason you have two children. Nobody goes into a marriage thinking it will end. My children are the best part of my life. I would never resent my children, would you? Everybody's jaw fell to stories. They didn't expect me to have the composure to say that. And I have to tell you, there was a little tingle that ran up my spine in that cold pool that day, feeling that, you know what? I can handle myself. You can throw shame my way all you want. I know who I am. Walk a mile in my shoes before you judge me. You are not going to bring me down to the level that you are. You can't be happy if you're throwing this my way. So I'm going to stay in my happy place, in my still space, and plan out thoughtfully and mindfully the way that I behave. And I'm not going to carry what you're hurling my way. You're going to own that on your own. And then I went off and I played with my children and we had a wonderful day and I felt power. I have to tell you, I felt power there because I had been so powerless in my own victimization of myself that it felt really good to take back some of that power and authority over myself. And I, I also must tell you that following that incident, several of the people in that group became closer friends of mine. They were still friends of hers, but I think people respected me more because I wasn't going to shriek away in shame. 
I could stand up for myself, and that is one thing that people will say about me, is that I know how to have presence. I can stand up and command authority in a room. I can negotiate. I can persuade because I stand in a place of open vulnerability. I don't have to be perfect. I have doubts just like everybody else, but I know what I want, and I know what I stand for. This thing called life is a complicated engagement. Add into the mix your career and relationships, and you have a real menagerie of emotions, behaviors, and results. The happiest and most progressive people are the ones who can shake off self-doubt. No question about it. They can fit in anywhere they go. They can show up at a meeting or a conflict with a family member and know that what they have to say matters. And they accept joy as a part of their soul, not a condition of perfection. Joy is something that is there for you, for the taking, for the mere fact that you exist. Understand yourself. Know your leadership brand. Brand is that indistinguishable factor that sets something apart from the rest. Marketers try to develop a brand that sticks and engages people to take action, and in many cases that means to make a purchase. The truth is that as much as people spend time establishing a brand, it is others that actually brand you. Social media makes it easy to label and brand things by building consensus. If I had overreacted in the pool that day, my brand would be angry divorcee. I wasn't going to have that. Brand does not merely apply to commodities such as soda and automobiles. It applies to services, people, and leadership. Chances are you are not aware of your leadership brand. Rest assured, others are. They know who is capable and who is not. Sometimes your brand is so strong it is a stereotype. The CEO suck-up, the overachiever, the ghost of Christmas past, the frantic fanatic, the office gossip, Miss Self-Important, the chatterbox, the micromanager. Growing your self-awareness helps you grow your awareness of your brand and your ability to control that brand by self-regulating your thoughts, emotions, and actions. Now here's five ways to establish a strong leadership brand. Create a five-column matrix and fill in the blanks with responses to the following questions. And when we have humility to mindfully accept the truth of our situation on paper, it gives us a tangible and actionable plan to execute and to track. So the first thing might be your aspiration. List three things you want to be known for. If you aren't sure, imagine you were giving your retirement speech. Looking back, what would you comment on as your most fulfilling accomplishments? Your aspirations are important. Know what they are. This will give you concrete nature around your leadership brand so it isn't wishy-washy and you don't feel wishy-washy when you go to speak and show up for things. Number two, your perception. What do you suppose your colleagues would say about you right now? Be honest. Ask yourself this. What would be said about you at your funeral by a friend, by a family member, by a work colleague? What would those who don't care for you say? That's part of your brand. Number three, this is your reality. Ask five people who work closely with you how they would describe you at work. 
or you could send an email to former clients. Hey, I'm putting together a leadership brand for myself and want to ask you a few questions. Send an email to five people, unbiased people with whom you have worked over the past year, two, three years. Ask them what your strongest traits are, your areas of opportunity. Assure them you are not too proud to hear what they have to say. Accept that your perception may not be other people's reality. Number four, your opportunity. What key areas of opportunity do you want to address in your leadership brand? Is there a theme to the feedback you have received from others? When we address a target area for improvement, it helps to first identify what triggers it and secondly, deploy a calming technique in the moment, such as a deep breath in the still space or a mindful count of four fives in two, three, four, five, hold two, three, four, five, breathe out two, three, four, five, calm two, three, four, five. And number five, your it factor. What is your signature strength? What is the impact of that strength? Put context around this. Define it succinctly so that you may speak to it in meetings, in strategy sessions, and on resumes. If your signature strength is good listening and problem solving, you might say, having listened to all points of view, I suggest that we do X and evaluate its efficacy by Y, some timeline. I think it's also helpful to write down things about yourself that you really like. Where have you gotten feedback from others that has been positive? What do they continually come to you for? What area of expertise do people seek you out for? Are you good at strategy? Are you good at listening, compassion? Where do you find yourself doing something that you could do for hours without even getting paid for it? You just love that kind of work. That's a signature strength. I am sure that you have several of them, but it takes some reflection in the still space of, you know, I've been down on myself lately, but it might be helpful if I spend a little time thinking about what I'm good at, what people have complimented me for, where I shine, where I like to spend my time. Give yourself a little breathing space to just reflect on how you are wonderful, in what ways you shine, because you deserve that. And when you can sit with that self-acceptance of the things that you're really good at, you start to show up bigger, not small, not full of doubt and posturing and cynicism and overbearing nature or withdrawing and not showing up at all. You show up at your core and that's who you are when you are at your best and the world needs you at your best. So I'm wishing you a very mindful day today with some mindful daily practices, which might include a mindful walk right now where you just take a walk around the office or outside and notice what's around you without attaching any story to it and without regurgitating any previous conversations. Just being present with yourself, noticing people's faces, noticing nature, noticing what you enjoy. Wishing you peace today. I'm glad you were with me today, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, 
where you can also learn more about working with me.